Welcome to another episode of Seeing Them Live, a podcast featuring memorable concert stories from live music fans. Everyone has a concert story, and hopefully, one day, we'll hear yours. Our guest today is Andy. I had a horrible show. That was honestly one of my worst dead shows out of 69 of them was when I had a second row ticket and had to walk away because it was such mayhem. I've known Andy since I think seventh grade. Is that? That's what I was uh, telling my wife, Charles, I believe. Seventh grade and or in Miss Okasako's math class, I believe, is when we first started talking about concerts. Wow. I I would have never pulled that name out. Yeah. (laughs) So... (laughs) We've been to a lot of concerts. In fact, as an aside, trying to figure out how many that might take some doing. But when we have people on, Doug and I always ask, what was your first concert? When I asked you that, because I didn't know that, surprisingly, having known you all these years, you came back with an interesting response. You said, ticket stub or no ticket stub. And I was like, Huh. I wouldn't have categorized it like that. So why don't you just kind of talk about that a little bit, Andy? Again, when we first started going to concerts and hearing things, and again, one of the things you talked about was stubs that you first started collecting. And somehow I have cub stubs from when I was eight years old. Those were the first ones that I ever saved. Okay. Yeah, I've, I've had those the whole time. And then when me and one of our common friends, we'd go to Chicago Fest, and those were right. no tickets. And so that's when I said, because uh, our first time was, I think, in like 1980 was Chicago Fest was we saw the Greg Kin Band and the Joe Perry Project. Okay. And we didn't have stubs. And that was why I was always sort of worried in my little collecting thing. I go, well, we don't get stubs to Chicago Fest. And then later, the next year, I went down to Champaign and saw the Moody Blues for the first time and had my first official concert t- stub. So that's why I always considered stub or no stub was Chicago Fest, which for us was a pretty big deal of seeing live music for a lot of first times was no stub. But then the one where I sort of forgot a lot about for me and my wife were talking, the stubs bring back the memories of, of putting the whole shows together. Yeah, exactly. And when I look at some of my ticket stubs, I, I was like, wow, I, I really don't have a re- any recollection of that concert. And so I'll talk with you or somebody say, oh yeah, that was one, you know, we went there and we did this, but uh, one of our first guests, or the first guest, uh, Tom Fitzer, um, unfortunately his girlfriend threw out all of his ticket stuff, so he was kind of foggy as to when he went to some of these shows. So yeah, it's, it's a great reference uh, tool, I guess, is uh, what I'm trying to say. Um, I reference it all the time, as you know. I get that in between, and lucky enough, and me and you've spoke to where I journalized for about four or five years during these years, too, so we could actually go back and find out who we went with. And that's really cool because, again, certain people, I wasn't even at that show. I go, I sure got you at that show. And they're like, oh, wow. you know. So between those two things is how me and you have spoke where I get a pretty good recollection of what's going on and remembering it and you know, coming up with sort of archives in my head. Andy? You were mentioning about Chicago Fest. That was one of my favorite venues to go to because you could see a lot of bands. This is how I got around the issue of not having a ticket stub is I kept the programs. I still have some Chicago Fest programs. 
And for our listeners, we'll put it on our website as an artifact for this particular episode. But this is how you get around it. And here they had the entire schedule there. Yeah, and that's, everything. Bringing, that's bringing back a blast. It was so hard just to bring stuff back then. Again, when I was 15 or 16, I just guess I'm lucky I still got the stubs because, there, again, I got a lot of pamphlets like that, but that's great. Because now, again, as me and Chuck have found out, when you go back, to, now we're sitting here, you go to set lists. And that's how I've been able to get some Chicago Fest set lists from back then. And finding out which year is going back using that is a great resource. Yeah, that, that's an awesome resource. And Doug, how many of those do you have? Looks like I have two of them here. Okay. What Let's, years are those, Doug? One of them is 1980 and 1979. Those are the two that oh, I have, okay. 79 and 80. So that fits right the time period that you're talking about. Yeah, well, those are great. Again, then Chuck, did did you go to the one at Soldier Field, the Chicago Fest oh, with Stevie Ray? No, I didn't. I, I remember you guys went to that concert. That's when they kind of reimagined Chicago Fest from Navy. Yeah, that was, and that was a strange one. That, again, that was another. I don't. I don't have a stub for that one either. Yeah. So, so again, those are weird ones. And again, it's sort of strange because those are ones I don't remember as well either. Some of them. Yeah, the first one I remember really well, just because it was some of the first live rock and roll I really saw close up, because we got real close to Greg Kinn and Joe Perry, and it was it was cool. That was you know the thing. And then when we were leaving, our buddy Jeff is a big blues guy, so we were seeing Mighty Joe Young, and then we found out we had to go meet his sister for a ride home, and that was when Muddy Waters was coming out, and we were walking out. <laughs> so yeah. all we ever saw was the beginning of Muddy Waters walking out saying, here he is, Chicago's very great. And then we're, I'll see you later. And then never got to see him again. Yeah, your ride was leaving, right? So yep, had to bail on, on Muddy. Yeah. And then Andy, like with regard to ticket stubs, because I know you have a massive collection and kept them archived way better than I do in my Ziploc sandwich bags. Some of these things are, are getting to be worth some money, you were saying. Well, Charles, I was doing a little research again, just because I knew some of mine. I have Grateful Dead tickets from when I saw New Year's where, again, that ticket in 1985, that ticket is worth more now as a collectible than what I paid for it to go to the show in, in Oakland. But then there's some, I saw one of them when I was just flipping through and there's a wild ones too on eBay. But like a Ramones, last Ramones ticket is going for like 1500 bucks and stuff. The last dead ticket is going for about four to 500, depending on your shape. You know, tickets turn into collectibles. They're grading them now, too, is what I found out. Kind of like you comic send them books. These, yeah, like comic books and uh, cards and everything. So they're doing tickets now, and it's a huge thing, which is pretty wild. But hopefully I got some money in them because, again, I told my wife, I go, even at five bucks a piece, I counted them up yesterday, Charles. I have... Oof, 350 concert stubs and a over 125 just other event stubs in oh, my photo wow. albums. Wow. That, that's, well, you you yeah. put us to shame. That's a lot. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, um, in a weird world, Doug, I've been always scared to count them and put it all together. I've always counted my dead shows and everything else like that, but I never till yesterday put them all together and sat there and counted everyone and tried to come up with a pretty decent number. I don't know why if I was scared or not, but, you know. <laughs> The reality of how many shows you've been to, at least with the ticket stubs. Yeah. Now, also, you mentioned just now the, the Grateful Dead, and I would definitely classify you as a deadhead and all the other spinoffs of the Grateful Dead. So of those 300 and some odd ticket stubs you have, Andy, how many are Grateful Dead related? Probably at least about 100, Chuck. Like we said, when I went and saw Bob Weirdas last year and Phil Lesh, both of them were right about 100. 
Okay. And I've seen Jerry, I've seen the dead 69 times, Jerry another five times with the Garcia band. Then with the add-ons with Bob and Phil, I've seen them about a hundred times each. So they're at the top of my thing. And again, in my eyes, I really don't consider myself a crazy deadhead, but yeah, I'm a pretty solid one, I guess. But I've seen a lot of other bands a lot of times. I've seen the Almond Brothers, I think about 15 or 16 times. I've seen Neil Young about a dozen. Bob Dylan, I think eight or nine times. Santana, three or four. Stevie Ray Vaughan, I believe five times. There's some I've seen, you know, I'm trying Jethro Tull, I've seen like three or four too, you know, some of our favorites. But then some of my favorite shows are the ones that you've dragged me to that I you know, didn't expect <laughs> I'd ever enjoy. So I have to give yourself kudos for you know, helping me open my music horizons, definitely in concerts where you know, Jane's Addiction, I would have never found or an REM. Those are on my favorite top 10 concert lists almost out of these. Yeah, you could go to a concert by yourself, but it's always, I think, better to drag someone with you. (laughs) Oh, well, yeah, as you were saying in your notes and pre-stuff of what does it make a good show, you know, again, it's everything put together, really. It's like four or five things put together to see how good and things vary to make it how good it is. Because I've had a real good time at shows. I've been to a Phil Les show and had a great time by myself. But then again, I knew what I was doing and everything else. And I yeah, I knew the venue and I knew the, the act and I knew most of the things and had a good state of mind. So you put all that together and that sort of makes your show. Yeah, because I know in particular with the Grateful Dead, there's maybe thousand or thousand bootleg tapes, I guess. And some of those recordings are considered the great recordings of, of the band. And then when you went to see them, was there anything in particular that would stand out? with a good dead show? Again, a lot of times it was just the quality of the music, how Jerry and the guys were playing and that. But then there was times where, again, as you know, if you're close up to a band, it's a lot better than being far away. Right. You know, most times. But we've been at the, you know, the Grateful Dead at the UIC where I walked away from second row tickets right there for a set because it was just so crazy. Yeah, that, you know, that, I had that a horrible was... show. That was honestly one of my worst dead shows out of... 69 of them was when I had a second row ticket and I had to walk away because it was such mayhem. It was people just like crawling over the seats and yeah. was, there was way too many people in that space, I would agree. Yeah, so uh, honestly, when I was thinking of worst shows, I, I go, that's one of my worst dead shows was that because the whole first set was shot. Yeah, I was with my girlfriend, walked away and everything, but it worked out okay because I gave our buddy Scanny and some rugby player my tickets and told them to go up there and have some fun. And yeah, they did. So yeah, I ended up with 20th row ticket. It's weird because that was what made it a bad show. It wasn't the music or anything. It was just the aspects of the outside getting involved. Yeah, and I think we should talk about, not necessarily a bad show, but we're going to take a break here, and when we come back, Andy's going to tell us he's sworn off an entire music genre, and we're going to hear what that is in just a minute. Would you like to be a guest on Seeing Them Live? If you have a concert story you'd like to share on this podcast, please visit our website at seeingthemlive.com. Once you're there, click on Become a Guest in the main menu. Then fill out the form and click the Submit button. If you seem like a good fit for the show, we'll contact you via email. Everyone has a concert story. Let's hear yours. And now, back to the show. All right, we're back Again, here with Andy, and we're talking about 
not so pleasant experiences at a concert, even with good seats. And we were talking a while ago about how you kind of sworn off an entire genre of concerts, at least, music. What is that, Andy? Well, again, it used to be one of my favorite ones when I was a teenager, but I swore off heavy metal. Because one of my teacher friends, he's a big heavy metal guy, and he keeps wanting to go because he knows I'm a concert guy. And I finally had to tell him, I'm done going to metal shows, and I'm not going anymore. And I, and then you were amused by it. And then that was funny, because next thing you know, we go to you know, King Gizzard, and they do three or four metal songs off their whole metal album, which I really enjoy. Yeah, it, it, it's tough, but again, I don't want to say it, but again, I've been to the Slayer concert just honestly five, six years ago, and it was enough to where... I don't need to see that anymore. But again, the aspect of sitting in a box, seeing it, and people watching is different than being in the pit with it, too. So, Right. Again, I don't see enough concerts now to where I honestly can say I'll swear it off for a while and just see what happens and see if you can drag me out of it. (laughs) Yeah, I agree. The one time I was with a friend of ours, I think you were at the show, Iron Maiden, Judas Priest, at the International Amphitheater in Chicago, our friend got into a fight with this guy who just basically was just looking for trouble. Fortunately, nobody got really hurt or anything, but the M80s blowing off over your head at Alpine Valley during Iron Maiden. I I keep bringing up Iron Maiden, I guess. I'm wearing an Iron Maiden shirt right now. I mean, it's like you got to go into it kind of prepared. And and you're right, like, are you down in it or are you kind of removed? And yeah, you and I, we went to see King Gizzard and the Lizard Wizard at uh, the Salt Shed in Chicago. And I was describing them. They're prolific in their recording, and they span all sorts of musical uh, genres. And some of their songs kind of reminded me of the Allman Brothers or Frank Zappa, sort of. And they came out with these four blazing metal songs, Gila Monster, Converge, Planet B, and Mars for the Rich. And that I went back and I kind of started listening to those because I would consider myself a, a novice in the King Gizzard universe. But that, that Planet B song, that's like straight up Motorhead, in my opinion. <laughs> but it was kind of cool, wasn't it? It was kind of a dead crowd, Grateful Dead. So I saw a lot of dead shirts and stuff. They were and- a very unique show, powerful. Again, that was one of those things that was really cool to go see. And it was good yeah. new music. And it was something that was as good as I thought it, I, as I was going to be. And again, in the pouring rain and everything else, uh-huh. that was one of the best new shows I've seen probably in a decade. Yeah, they were great musicians, virtuosos at every level. So yeah, that was our dose of metal, and we didn't even know we were going to get it. So that was kind of cool. What else could we talk about, Andy? We've got a few minutes left here. I have a couple of questions. Yeah, Doug. I got a couple of questions about dead shows. Now, I have to admit, I'm not a big dead fan. It's not that I don't like them. It's just that I've never got into it as much as as you are. But I, I did some reading on them, and one of the things that was interesting to me was that I guess back in 1965, the guy that <laughs> supplied them with LSD became their sound man, Owsley Bear Stanley. Yeah. And he designed this huge wall of 500 speakers. Mm-hmm. Uh, did you see that at the shows no. that you you went no, to? He, by, by, they got rid of it. There's pieces that they just auctioned off not too long ago of that. But you know, no, they quit using that when they broke up, I believe, in 75, 76, when they went on hiatus and they put it in storage and they didn't bring it out because it was such a big 
deal to travel around with because I believe it was like two or three semis worth and this and that after that. So I didn't get to see the wall of sound as they called it. And I have a picture in my garage of, you know, framed of you know, Phil Lesh sitting there playing in front of it. And it, that that's one of the mythic things that Owsley did with the dead was before, besides making some great stuff, he was also a great sound guy. Yeah. I mean, the, the picture I saw, which we'll share a link on our website to it. It's pretty amazing. It is literally a wall of speakers. The other question I had is apparently the social protocol at the shows was such that they actually had different areas for people. So they had what they called the deaf zone for people that were going deaf. They reserved this area where they could go up and be close to the speaker. So even though they couldn't hear very well, they felt the vibrations or something. Did, did you witness anything like that at any of the shows it's, that you went to? In certain venues, they had certain things like that. And, and again, some were unofficial where they had the people down in the corners like at Alpine Valley. But a lot of times with the deadheads, there was the spinners over there too in the same little area. But at certain ones, they had the sober areas also at the dead with the wharf rats where all the sober deadheads would congregate and hang out and, and do together. Then they also had the taper sections. So there was about four or five different segmented areas at dead shows where certain you know, niches of groups of people would go and hang out and enjoy their show to make it a safe place for them. So you called spinners. Can you explain what that is? Those are usually the hardcore hippies that really are not even watching the show at all. They're just spin dancing on the side of the stage, usually in the deep corners where they can sit there and fully spin dance around. And they're just freeform dancing and you know, moving around. And, you know, you still see them today too, Doug. When I was in Las Vegas at, what was the deal? It was the old Hard Rock where I saw Bobby Weir just in October. There were still spin dancers way on the third level, just sitting there spinning around. And it's a pretty unique thing because I know they have them at a couple like fish shows. They have them and stuff, but it's pretty unique to those kind of jam band guys where there's a area where the spinners sit there and go. Well, that, that's great. Well, that, that's all I had, Chuck, if you want to um, pick it up from there. Yeah. Yeah. We've got maybe a few more minutes here. Charles, um, you talk about you know, storing your tickets. Again, that's something where I put them in these magnetic photo albums. Yeah. And I got four of them filled. But most people like yourself, I find out, have them in plastic baggies, like our buddy Louie has them in his plastic baggies and all. And most people do. But there are things they've made in the back of Rolling Stone. I probably saw 15, 20 years ago where they had little slides for them and everything else. But I've never seen anybody have them. I guess I'm not a person of real social media to see anybody showing off their stuff like that. But, you know. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because Doug has created on our website this ticket stub museum. If you could share any of yours, Andy, that'd be great if you have a way of either taking a photo or scanning them. Yeah, so no problem. We could add them to the Ticket Stub Museum, and certainly we'll call it the Andy Collection. But if you can get that to us, that would be great. Definitely. I'll get you some of my better ones. The Grateful Dead made some really nice ones. And I got a nice Almond Brothers straight from their ticket venue on their last tour when they came to the Chicago Theater and everything. I got some pretty nice, unique tickets. My rarest ones is probably one of my junkiest ones is from one of the last Otis in the Elevator show we saw where they opened up for the Vulgar Boatmen. Oh, yeah. And, yeah. Uh, for all the times we've seen them, they're, they're a local band that we saw a bunch of times from Champaign. And they did a lot of openings for acts up here in Chicago in the late 80s, early 90s. Yeah, I pulled that one off the floor just so I would have a ticket stub from our favorite local band. And it's yeah. probably one of my most beat up ones. Yeah. It's one of my most revered in a way. Yeah, we should someday talk about Otis and the Elevators, the band from Champaign, during our college era there. We 
were kind of crazy about that band, but because they played a warm-up show for, they opened for what, Stevie Ray Vaughan, and like he said, the Vulgar Boatman, and some of these other shows, and yeah, you don't have a ticket stuff, because we were on, usually on the guest list, which is a whole nother aspect of trying to remember things, and they have this thing called a, a gigography, where mm-hmm. somebody had kept track of every single gig they ever played, which was awesome from a historical standpoint to know which show you attended because there were certain times where we unveiled t-shirts and stuff. And then we could bring out a bunch of those Mabel's old newspapers with some yeah. really cool acts in them also where, yeah. you know, Mabel in Champagne. It was a venue where it was fairly large. I don't know how many people it held. I'd say at least a few hundred. I don't know. I'd say three, four hundred. Yeah. Again, one of my worst concerts, Charles, I put our old Jason and the Scorchers show on there where Otis opened up to where, remember, we were having a fun time at that show. Yeah. I thought they were pretty good, Jason and the Scorchers. I don't know if there were a lot of people there to see Jason or... Otis. Yeah, it was yeah. probably a toss-up. Those would be good to talk about, too. But I'd definitely like to scan some of this stuff in for you guys, and then we can put it out on your site and then you know, give a little yeah. visuals and everything else. And I was going to say, Andy, if you have any ideas about the Ticket Stub Museum, because like I was saying, Doug, he scanned them, but we were thinking maybe incorporate a, a blurb about a particular Ticket Stub. This was the last Grateful Dead show or the Ramones show, those kinds of notations beneath them kind of like you would see in a regular museum when you're looking at a painting or something you know mm-hmm. what is this particular concert represent or maybe it was my first concert or what have you um yeah definitely that sounds like great stuff i just love talking about these tickets and concerts because it's something where i've done it all my life and i never thought it would going to be anything but now it sort of tells the story of my life I'm glad yeah. i did yeah it is a cool way to kind of document it's a little piece, a reminder of that era and how your musical tastes change. Like you're saying, we started getting into Jane's Addiction, Iggy Pop, R.E.M., Otis and the Elevators, you know, a local band. So, yeah, it's a good way to document your life in, in a lot of ways. Yeah, we've discussed this before, how it's kind of sad now that with the digital ticketing, you don't get anything physical anymore. If any promoters or venue owners ever listen to this podcast, one of the things that I would recommend, even if you offered it almost as like a little extra premium or something, is uh, get back to trying to give people physical tickets. This is also true when I went for the first time at a World Series, when the Cubs got into the World Series, it was the same story where it was digital ticketing. And I found that there was a site that will give you like a ticket mock-up. So you have something, but that's something that it'd be nice if venues at least offered that as an option or a backup for people that go to live music. So they have some sort of a physical memory of their attendance. Uh, I've seen at a the couple show. that's starting to come around, Doug. I'm starting to see, I forgot where it was. I don't know. It was in, you know, I, I'm a subscriber of Relics, you know, the magazine online. They send you all the, you know, good jam band shows and things coming up. And there was a venue that had limited edition hard tickets for you to get for, I think it was like an extra 25 bucks or something. Yeah. But again, me and Charles have talked about how I've been taking screenshots of the ticket to save it, but then you got to email it to yourself, then you got to crop it, and then you got to do it. And that's the only way I've seen how to do it right now. But I'm already like 10 shows behind already. I got them on my phone. I haven't done it. And it's just one of those where, again, 
the old hard ticket with some nice little artwork on it or something, or even your bad ticket drawn ticket with something to make it a hard thing. As me and Charles were talking where I was at the library a bunch of years ago and I picked up the Joey Ramone autobiography and he had a ticket stub at the top of every one of his chapters and he talked about how important they were to him. And he was one of the first persons where had the same thing going on in their brain as I was, how it just brought back the memories and stuff of that. And then he talked about it really well in there. And I thought that was really neat. I never knew anything much about Joey Ramona. I wish I would have seen him, but I thought it was really neat how he was another person that kept all his tickets from when he was a kid of, and a teenager of all his shows and how, thought how important they were to him. Yeah, that's cool. I've been meaning to pick up that book just for that reason. I'd like just to see how he has that arranged in in that book. Well, we're coming up on time here, Andy. Is there anything uh, you'd like to add? We just scratched the surface, man. I mean, we could definitely do a part two, part three, you know, maybe talk about these ticket stubs some more. Anything else you'd like to add, Andy, before we sign off here? No, I I just really enjoyed talking with you guys and meeting Doug. And uh, again, anything you guys want to talk about concerts? stubs and everything else i did my little investigating and again counting stubs and everything really brought me back yesterday sort of you know, reality and unreality <laughs> yeah we would definitely do this again and i enjoyed our interview and thanks for taking the time out and chatting with us and sharing your concert experiences with us sounds great and again send me a link and i'll do some scanning for you guys i'd love to have some additions to the ticket stub Cool. We'll make sure to do that. Thanks again. And I think that's it, Doug. That's a wrap for our show. I want to thank today's guests for sharing their concert stories with us. Make sure to check out our show notes at seeingthemlive.com for links to websites, photos, and other artifacts mentioned in the show. I also want to thank my producer, Doug Florzak. The theme music for the show was composed by Doug and is featured on his album, Flagstone. If you have a concert story you'd like to share on our podcast, please visit our website and click on Become a Guest in the main menu. Then fill out the form and click the Submit button. If you seem like a good fit for the show, we'll contact you via email. I guess it's time to head for the exits. We'll see you next time on seeing them live.